Hello and welcome to this episode of the Things That Matter Most podcast, where we dissect practical, spiritual, and cultural issues using Jesus' message as our starting point. My goal is that you find yourself encouraged and challenged and equipped to live more like Christ every day. My name is Pastor Isaac, and I have the privilege of hosting this podcast, and I'm truly looking forward to today's episode because we are answering this question, how do I know that God wants the best for me? And we're going to be looking at this really beautiful passage that comes at the end of Romans chapter 8, where the Apostle Paul gives this, essentially this speech where he says, listen, if you have Jesus, what else wouldn't God do for you? And so I hope that this is encouragement to you. I hope that you walk away from this going, you know what? God really does want the best for me. And because of that, I want to align my heart with him. And so without further ado, let's jump into this episode titled, How Do I Know That God Wants the Best for Me? All right, so as we ask this question, how do I know God wants the best for me? I think that it's helpful because sometimes we go through life and we end up at a crossroads where we can go, am I going to make the decision that I want to make? Or am I going to decide to lean in and make the decision that God wants me to make? And so even though we're asking the question, how do I know that God wants the best for me? Maybe the deeper question is, how do I know that it's worthwhile to follow God? Because the way that we achieve the best that God wants for us is by dedicating our lives to what he says. And so I want to share just a personal story with you. Uh, When I was in high school several years ago, not as many as some, uh, but more than others, uh, several years ago, there was a a period in time in which um, I was involved in church, actively attending a youth ministry, even actively serving in church. From the outside looking in, in that context, Um, you would have thought that I essentially had it together, that I was doing well. However, uh, on the other side of the curtain, there were things in my life that were inappropriate and that were wrong. And um, that was in various categories and areas of my life. And I don't know if that's simply because um, I grew up in church and, um, you know, was not necessarily sheltered from things, but really wanted to experiment with the things I wanted to and to really figure things out. But whatever the cause and the purpose of that was, there were several things in my life that were simply inappropriate in many arenas. And I'm sure that this has been true for you as well. Um, At some point in time in your life, you kind of end up living, if not a completely, um, uh, if not a life completely separated from God, a life at least in some regards, separated from God. Um, And the worst case scenario, which I think is the most destroying of our souls, is when we try to keep up two lives at one point. And so I hit a point um, that I was like, you know what? I just can't do this anymore. I had found myself in trouble, and I had found myself um, embarrassed, not only with my parents, but with friends that knew I attended church and knew different things like that about my life. And what they did was they saw the hypocrisy of my life. I had even brought friends who I was involved in inappropriate things with to church and to youth group events. And at the time, it was like I was blinded to kind of that degree of hypocrisy. However, um, God is good. He is so good and he protects us. One of my favorite traits of God is that he is a redeemer. He takes things that are bad and he uses them for his good purposes. And there was a point in time, uh, very distinctly, when 
um, I was in the 11th grade in which I made a commitment, God, for whatever it is, I'm going to dedicate to you and I'm going to commit to you in these various things in my life. And I'm going to be completely dedicated. And uh, some of the most amazing things began to happen. And um, actually, I was given a piece of advice that was really wonderful. I was I was going to join the military. I wanted to, between my 11th and 12th grade years, because I was old enough, I wanted to go to basic training, um, get that out of the way so that as I went into uh, the military after my senior year, I already had basic training out of the way. I could go to advanced training, be uh, a year ahead of the schedule, and basically kind of have life planned out in such a way. And I was told by a man at the school, he's like, you know, what? why do you seem so distraught? Because my parents had told me, we're not letting you do that. And I was absolutely furious at that, um, at that response. This man, he sat me down. He was he was a leader in the school, and, and he said, "You know what's going on." And his words to me were, "I would hope I would never tell my child that if this is what they desired to do." Right. So in that regard, he kind of affirmed me. And then he said, um, "He said, but don't be so stubborn that you do this, even though your heart may change on this issue." And I never did join the military. Um, God did a work in my heart. That was one of the more extraordinary conversations I've ever had. It was a it was a moment of change in my life and in my heart. As my heart softened, as God got a hold of me, um, I realized that He was giving me a call to go into full time um, vocational ministry work, which itself was this big roller coaster of of life circumstances. But that's the direction that my life went, and that all came through this path of really dedicating my life and my heart to him. And, and um, I want to share this, this story out of Romans chapter 8, the, the end of an address that Paul gives, because I believe that it kind of encapsulates this idea of that God really wants the best for us. And in order for him to give us the best, we have to get on his page. And so um, I want to read for you Romans chapter 8, verses 31 to 39, and then just break it apart for just a few moments. So Paul says this, starting in verse 31. What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? This follows one of the more famous scriptures uh, from Romans where uh, the Apostle Paul says, And we know that all things work together for the good of those that love God and are called according to his purposes. And he he elaborates on that thought, and then he says this, What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one, for God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one, for Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us, and he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? For as the scriptures say, for your sake, we are being killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. Despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. 
And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death, nor life, neither angels, nor demons, neither our own fears for today or our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all of creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. If nothing else, even that scripture summarizes the heart and the love and the passion that God has for us. And so the question of how do I know God wants the best for me in so many ways is answered by simply reading this. If God didn't want the best for you, then he wouldn't have sent his son Jesus to die for you. Jesus wouldn't sit at the right hand of God pleading on your behalf for you, to defend you, to make you holy and righteous before God the Father. And that's what he does. And so the first thing here is that we have been made right with God. That's in verse 31 to 34, the first paragraph there. What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can be against us? The reality is, is that God is for us. God defends us. Jesus sits and pleads for us um, because he loves us so much. And since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen as his own? No one, for God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one. And I love this. For Christ Jesus died for us, but didn't stop there. And he was raised to life for us. And he is sitting at the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. You see, God is for us. When he created humankind, he didn't create us sinful. He created us perfect in relationship with him, without sin. But unfortunately, as we do sometimes and as we make the decisions we do in life, um, sin entered into the world. We rebelled against God. The Satan deceived Eve and deceived Adam, and we sinned. And because of that, sin entered into humankind. But God made the very first promise um, to Eve where he said, you know, your seed will crush the head of this serpent, Satan, and that he'll bruise his heel, but his head will be crushed. And that was the very first promise of a Messiah that would come to deliver us from sin. God is for us. Man, nothing in this world, as, as we read, there is nothing that God doesn't go out of his way to make sure it is used for our defense and for our good. God is for us. If we really, truly believed and understood and grew in this knowledge, I'm telling you, it transforms your soul. Because when you know that the almighty God of the universe is there to protect you and defend you, and he is for you, makes all the difference. It puts into perspective the various things we struggle with. It puts into perspective the things that we go through, because when it's cancer or when it's death or loss 
or fear or financial ruin or mistakes that we made. We get to fall back on this reality that God is for us and it cost him his son, that Jesus died for us and he came back to life. God is so for us that he was willing to give us his very own son. That should inspire us to know that God wants the best for us And he asks a lot of us because he does want to give us the very best. And I think this is an encouragement as well, that Jesus helps us during our trial. He helps us during our trials. Verse 35 says, can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? Despite all of these things, overwhelming victory is ours through, very specifically through Christ who loves us. You see, in our suffering, Jesus helps us. Jesus helps keep us close to himself. Nothing can separate us from Christ's love, no matter whether it's trouble or calamity or persecution, whether we're hungry, whether we have no money, whether our family rejects us, whether the government is off the rails, whether there's world war, whether there's sickness in your life or in somebody else's life, whether your life has had a massive change of trajectory, whether the career you thought you had would be gone or the school you wanted to get into you didn't. Jesus protects us when we go through difficult times. That is a truth declared in God's word. How do I know God wants the best for me? Because in the worst of times, Jesus is right there. But get this. What about our failures? Despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ. You know, part of the human condition is that we sin. Part of the human condition is that we have problems. And part of the incredible mystery of God that transforms our lives is that we have victory through Christ. Sin no longer has a hold on us. The the depravity of our sin that compels us to sin, that drives us into a rebellion against God, the power of that is broken. The influence is still there, but Jesus broke it if we're followers of his. And he says overwhelming victory is ours in those things. So my friend, my brother, my sister, what I want to encourage you with is that you'll struggle because you're human. You'll lose your temper. You'll lust. You'll probably lie. You'll probably cheat and probably steal. That's just the reality of it. It's not an excuse whatsoever. It's not an excuse, but it's being human. And what Jesus says is, I want to and will deliver you from the from that sin if you acknowledge me and give your life and give your soul to me. Overwhelming victory is ours through Christ. And man, that requires a whole series of events. Repentance is needed. Open, um, open honesty and transparency is needed, a willingness to change, accountability in your life. It's not just like Jesus like snaps his fingers and all of a sudden you no longer have issues and the, the tax fraud that you've been involved in just disappears and the consequence of it is gone or, or anything like that. But we do have victory in Jesus because even though the influence of sin is still there, the power of it is shattered. So in our suffering, I, I like to think of it this way. 
there's several types of, of things in our lives that we go through. Um, the, the two, I think, biggest ones is, is there are circumstances that we go through. Circumstances are unprovoked. They're not necessarily our, our, um, our issue. They're not necessarily even because of something we've done, but they're just circumstances. Cancer that's unprepared prepared for, infidelity of a spouse, um, the, the failure of a company you work for, the bankruptcy there, and the loss of everything financial that you've had, um, a natural disaster that destroys things, whatever it might be. Those are circumstances. And in that suffering, Jesus is there. In that way, Jesus gives victory. But then there's also consequences. And so many of the problems in my life have come from the consequences of my decisions, not really the circumstances. But in those consequences, Jesus is there to give us victory and to give us hope and to restore us and to renew us and to guide us and to lead us and to forgive us and to lead us in a way that drives us to a deeper level of godliness and connection with him and the very best of God. And that's a wonderful truth of his word, that overwhelming victory is ours in Christ Jesus. If he gives us victory and comforts us and guides us through our suffering, what more could he possibly do? So how do I know God wants the best for me? Because he helps us and he gives us comfort and peace during our suffering. And he leads us through our failure and gives us victory. Last thought here, nothing can separate us from God. I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our own fears for today or our worries about tomorrow. Man, I'll tell you my own life, it's those worries about tomorrow that have the ability to destroy my today. Worrying about tomorrow takes my joy. Worrying about tomorrow takes my contentment. Worrying about tomorrow takes my effectiveness away. Worrying about tomorrow destroys my family, my friends. It robs me of life because it's, it's, it's the Satan himself, the adversary, who feeds our worry because our God is not a God of worry. He is not a God of chaos. He is a God of order, and he is a God of peace. Nothing can separate us. Neither our fears for today or our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that's revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate us from God. All of creation, everything in this crazy messed up world, and nothing in our lives, nothing that can happen to us, no powers of even hell itself can separate us from God when we're followers of Jesus. When we're his children, nothing can do it. And it's only because of Jesus. It's simply because of what Jesus has done for us. It's because of his sacrifice. It's because of his death on the cross. He stands and defends us before God the Father. He is sitting at the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. Nothing can separate us from God. And so a final answer to how do I know God wants the best for me? Um, 
I think verse 32 of this text summarizes it the best, summarizes everything that we just talked about. Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us, won't he also give us everything else? Friends, if this is a reality in our life, our lives will be transformed. If we believe and we truly embrace in our heart that God is willing to go to the furthest extent of the universe for us to know him, so far he's willing to send his son to die. There's nothing that he won't do for us. So why should we live our lives in a way that rejects him? I would encourage you that in order to experience what God wants for you, in order to experience all these things, your heart has to be aligned to him. And so as you approach the various things in your life, you need to think to yourself, how is this going to achieve God's best for me? This isn't like a give your money to the church and you'll get rich. It's not what I'm talking about, even in the slightest. What I'm talking about is the alignment of our heart to obedience to God. Let's let's get super practical. Let's think about test taking at school. Or let's think about um, the way we file our taxes. Or what we do with our money. How we handle our marriages or our relationships. Our sexual purity regarding relationships. Whether or not we do this within God's plan. The reality is we are just broken up. We are messed up and we need to give every single bit of our heart and our soul and our mind and our strength and our dedication and our work and our finances and everything. We need to dedicate that and give that to God. And in that way, God will honor us for it. And we are willingly, when we do that, we're willingly stepping into the very best that God has for us. And so here's my encouragement to you. Take a few steps back in your life. Take a few to gain some perspective and go, where does God have my heart and where does he not have my heart? Because the the, the reality is that we've been made right with God. Jesus helps us during our trials and nothing can separate us from God. But we can put wedges in there that hurt our ability to experience God. You know, scripture also teaches us that God is just, that he punishes his children or disciplines his children so that we'll draw closer to him. He is a good and perfect father. He is a good dad. And he does the same thing that all good dads or a really good parent would do. And so if we want to experience his best, then we have to live our lives in a faithful way to him. So I would encourage you, take those steps back, evaluate your life, look at your relationships, your finances, look at everything and go, where am I honoring? Where does God have all of my heart? And where does he not? And make the decision to walk in his will and in his way and in his standard, um, even as far as politically, what you believe to be morally right and wrong, all of those things, does God have your heart. And if he does, you'll experience this in the greatest way possible. You'll experience his best. You won't experience his best because you behave and you do the right things. 
you'll experience his best because when your heart is aligned with the heart of God, you unlock this in your life. Well, I hope that you found this episode of the podcast to be an encouragement to you. That as you listened to the voice of Paul, as he expressed this care that Jesus has for us, that he protects us and he guards us and he leads us, and that nothing can separate us from the love of God. I hope that you walk away from this feeling, again, encouraged to maybe even share your faith with your friends or your family or your coworkers this week. And so until we're together again, I do want to say thank you for joining in on this episode of the Things That Matter Most podcast.